Well, good morning. So if I have not had the opportunity to get to know you or meet you or maybe we've just passed in the hallway, my name is Nick and I'm a member here at Solid Rock and I have the honor and very humbled privilege to do the pastor of counseling as well. And um, God has just been so good and especially with uh, Solid Rock and then thinking about New Year's and thinking about what God has done and moving forward, it, it is just exciting to see all that he is planning for us. And um, today we're going to be back in our series on the Unstoppable Church. We're in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in verse 26. And as you're moving there, I just, I really do want to encourage you to come this coming Wednesday for our own members meeting. Member or not, please come. You will be blessed because there will be testimony of things that God has done this past year and things that God has planning out for us, the vision that they're going to lead with us, um, the elders, and, and, and laying that out before us. And it's going to be a really great time to see what God has done, where God has taken us as a church. And as we look at this series, we've taken a break. We've gone through the Advent series and the Christmas time, and now we're coming back to this uh, Unstoppable Church series. And if you need a refresher, we, we the book of Acts is written by Luke. He's it's the bridge book between the Gospels and what the church's beginning and the church's movement that God has established. And um, so we see the, the life and ministry of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection in the Gospels. And then we see his ascension into heaven. And we see the commission and, and we see the start of the church and we see the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see persecution coming on the church and we see the church prevailing. We not only see that, but we see the church not staying in Jerusalem or staying in one place, but now it's spreading out geographically to the different peoples, the different belief cultures and things like that. And so now we're, we're in chapter eight. And the last time we were in chapter eight, we were introduced to Philip. And Philip has been preaching through Samaria, Samaria and, and preaching the gospel as he is being faithful to the mission that we are called to. And so if we think about this mission and we think about the book of Acts, the primary thing we see is the church and the establishment of the church, but we also see this unstoppable progress of the gospel, that it, it cannot be stopped. We've, we saw Stephen, who was martyred, who obviously was stopped, but we don't see the gospel being stopped. We don't see the church being stopped. And one other element that we see in the book of Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit. When, when Christ went into heaven and he was ascended, he said, I'm going to send you someone. And that's the Holy Spirit. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we're going to see Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, explicitly, we're not going to see the church. We're going to see these two individuals. But what we will see is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we will see the mission of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. And so as we look at this and we're reminded of our mission in Matthew 28, starting verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Talk about unstoppable, to the end of the age. Nothing is going to come between the mission of God and where he is taking this church. And so we look at this mission statement and we think about the Great Commission and we ask ourselves, who is this for? And the answer is it's for all of us. See, it's not just about the elders or the staff or pastors um, or just specifically missionaries or whatever it may be, these titles that we have in our church. 
It's about all of us. Those who have called upon the name of the Lord, those who have been saved through faith, have been given this commission to go therefore and make disciples. And so this is the commission, this is the mission that we talk about as us being a church on mission. This is what we were talking about. And so we look at Philip and this encounter that he has. It's really, it's a gospel appointment between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch that God has ordained, that God has sovereignly set up, and that God has enabled for it to happen. And so we're going to start in verse 26. And it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Gaza, to the desert place. So when we start thinking about this working of the Holy Spirit and, and the sovereignty of God, we see already God intervening, God coming into contact with Philip. And the angel of the Lord is telling him to rise and go. Now, there's not a lot of clarity on why he's supposed to be rising and going. There's not even a lot of where he's going to actually end up, who he's going to be meeting, what is he going to be doing. All we see right at the beginning is this command, not a question, He's not asking him, hey, if you feel like it, the angel of the Lord says, rise and go. And so Philip being sensitive to the calling of the Lord, Philip recognizing this this command to rise and go has a decision to make. So it's not just enough that we be sensitive to hear God's calling or hear God lead us to something or command us to do something. There's also the need to be obedient to that. So God is orchestrating from the very beginning. He's the sovereign God that is constantly working. He is not off doing his own thing. And then all of a sudden he comes back to us. God is actively working in the lives of a lost and dying world. Bringing his message of hope and salvation, the church, the mission, is very uh, much a big part of what he's doing. This is how God has established how his message would go forward is the use of the church and the mission. So God doesn't tell him why or what he's going to do. He just says, go. And if we think about these areas, then if you think about where the Ethiopian eunuch is from, most likely he was a Gentile and even worse, he was a Philistine for that much of the people that were in that area. So if you're thinking of a Jewish tradition, a Jewish culture, like they didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't even, even more so were the Philistines. So we see the gospel, we see the church going beyond just the Jewish tradition or the Christian, it's, or the Christian going to the Jews and now the Gentiles. So we see this first time obedience where Philip is trusting in what God has asked him. So my parents who have kids, you're thinking, what does first time obedience look like? It's when a command is given and there's a call to action, they hear and they respond in obedience. What I'm describing is what Philip has done when he hears this calling to rise and go, not with any plans, not with all of the mission to be laid out before him of how it's going to be or what he's going to be doing, but he hears the command to rise and go. And in verse 27, we hear, we see his response. It says, and he rose and he went. We see this in other times in the Old Testament with like Genesis and um, Genesis uh, 12, and we think of Abraham being called to be a father of great nations. And it says, leave your land, and I'm going to take you to another place that I'm going to show you. That wasn't God talking to Abraham and putting in coordinates in his GPS and saying, here is the step by step. He's just saying, rise and go. 
And these men of faith, these men of being obedience, of first-time obedience and trusting in the sovereignty of God, first to him says, Philip, and he rose and he went. Moving forward in verse 27, it says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So this man is a man of high, he's basically the secretary of treasury for the Ethiopian kingdom. If you think about it geographically, and we look at modern Ethiopia or this area, it's basically modern Sudan. So if you think about where he has traveled from and now is traveling back to, that is not an easy travel. He is going to, he, because of his stature and who he is, he has a chariot, which probably means he has somebody helping him to make this journey. He also didn't have to make this journey, which is very interesting. He's not Jewish. He's not religious uh, for being from Ethiopia. He's making this journey to Jerusalem to worship on his own desire, his own, uh, his own desire to seek uh, who God is and his truth. So we see this court official of Candace, and we think of a eunuch. It's basically a male that's been castrated. The male organ has been crushed or removed. And not trying to be callous, but that's an important aspect of who he is because he would not be allowed into the temple because of his body having been marred or dismembered. In the, if we look at like Deuteronomy chapter 23, he would not be allowed to enter into the temple to be a part of the worship. He would not be allowed to be a part of the festivities, not being a Jew. So he traveled all this time and all this way to be a part of something that he wasn't going to be able to fully take a part of. But there's something inside of him that God is working on him that he made this travel, that he made this journey. We know he's of wealth because of the chariot. He is the treasury uh, secretary. But the other thing is, is he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. This is not like modern times where everybody can pull up Isaiah 53 on your phone or the 15 copies of scripture that you have at your house or anything like that. Having a scroll was mostly in the synagogues or the temples. It was not common for someone to have their own personal copy. And so we look at this man and we start seeing this other side of God was working on Philip saying, rise up and go. And he rose up and he went. The other side of this story is the Ethiopian eunuch. And we start to see this man who is traveling, who's looking, who's desiring to worship, and he's looking for truth. Why else would you buy the scroll? Why else would you be reading it? Why else would you be wanting to find out more? So we see the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit calling on both of these men. We see the obedience of Philip to rise and go. And so when we move forward in verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? This is so important. I have it in my mind that this man is just traveling along his way. And the custom of that time is for you to read out loud to yourself. So this is how he was reading. It's in the chariot. He's reading out loud to himself. So people were able to hear what he was reading. And Philip, having traveled all this way, Philip was doing ministry. Philip wasn't sitting on his couch. Philip wasn't saying, oh God, what do you want me to do? Philip was living out the mission. He had been preaching throughout Samaria. And God called him from that to meet and encounter this Ethiopian eunuch. 
And so we see him reading, and, and as, as he's arriving, and he sees the chariot, the Holy Spirit points out this chariot and says, I want you to join him. And again, the calling is sensitive to hear, but then obedient. It says that Philip ran to him and heard him read Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? It is very important that he asked a question. So often we see opportunities or are given opportunities to speak truth into someone's life. We've failed to ask questions and we begin to just give them everything. We tell them everything we know or everything they might need to know. And we fail to ask them questions, getting to know who they are, or more importantly, what is God doing in their life right now? Maybe they explicitly know that God's working in his life. Maybe they don't fully understand that losing their job or losing a loved one, God is now taking those hard times to bring you to a place to see the truth. By asking questions, we know how to meet with somebody and what truth they are looking for and what God has been doing in their life. And so for him to ask, he says, do you understand what you were reading? And Philip replies, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is a man that's a eunuch in the treasury of Candace. He has money, he has power and wealth. He is able to travel long distances to worship just because he desires to. And he's reading a scroll that no, most people couldn't even afford, much less be able to read on their own. And with humility, invites Philip up into the chariot to explain these passages. How can I know unless somebody explains them to me? You want to see the sovereignty of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life when you start seeing humility to say, I need help. I need answers. I'm reading this or I'm searching for something and I don't know what it is. Will we be faithful to ask questions? What do you believe about God? What do you know about eternity? Do you know what it takes to have eternity? Do you understand grace or do you know what grace is? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your job. Tell me about your life. It gives us an opportunity to see where somebody is coming from and where God has brought them. And hopefully that we get to become a part of that in a sovereign gospel appointment that God has set forth for us to be a part of. So we see Philip reading, we see um, Philip, excuse me, we see the Ethiopian reading, we see Philip being sensitive and responding to the call, not fully understanding everything, but just saying, yes, Lord. And when we say, do you, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody explains it to me, the humility? And so Philip gets up in the chariot with him. And if we start thinking about the gospel, we start thinking about how it's to be how it's to be spread, how is it to be, to be given, is to be faithful to share. We think of Romans 10, and he's actually quoting Isaiah 52. Romans 10, starting in verse 14, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has heard from us? 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Ethiopian has the word of God in his hands, uncommon for that day. And he has Philip appointed in sovereignty of God has led him to sit in his chariot to explain to him what he is reading. That's unheard of. Have you ever been sitting anywhere and just had all these things align like that? I've had a few times where God is in his sovereignty has pricked someone's heart and I would start a conversation with them and they start a conversation with me. And you know, as we talk, we start realizing God appointed this a lot longer before we met. Think about you and I and the fact that we're here at Solid Rock, how God has sovereignly provided this church and how God has led a lot of us to be here. Think about your salvation experience to think about how you became a Christian and how someone was being faithful to listen and be sensitive to the call of the Lord and being obedient to explain that to you. I stand up here today because of faithful men and women in my past who heard God's calling and said, I will, or said, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing. If anything, I deserve the condemnation and the punishment and the death of my sins. But it's through people in the sovereign work of the Lord and responding to the Holy Spirit in these gospel appointments of saying, yes, Lord, I will. And recognizing that God is not just working on one side, he's working on both sides. When we do counseling, we talk a lot about this trilogue of that you have God or the Holy Spirit, you have the person you're talking to, and then you have you. And you have this three-way conversation going horizontally and vertically. And we realize so often that God has been talking and working on someone's heart way before you get to talk to them. Way before. And so we look at this appointment, this gospel-appointed meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and we see the beautiful feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before his shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. The simple faithful act to open your mouth and speak the gospel truth to somebody. In the sovereign appointment through the gospel appointed meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian, he's being faithful to speak the simple gospel truth to him using the word of God, using what God has already set up in this tenderized heart of this Ethiopian eunuch who is seeking worship, even though he would not be a part of it, who is seeking God, reading his word, who needed help in understanding it. Folks, when we are given the opportunity to present the gospel, we need to open our mouths and speak the gospel truth to a lost and dying world who is desperate to hear the truth and the hope of who Jesus Christ is. Think about in your own life and the experiences before Christ and that desperation, that tension grows where you know you need something, you just don't know what and the hopelessness that was before us. 
And then think about the freedom that comes when hearing about the gospel. And then how beautiful is it in Isaiah 53, we see the most vivid picture of Christ taking our place, even though he didn't deserve the punishment. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is one of the ways we look at or see substitutionary atonement. And if you've never heard that phrase or you're not sure what that is, it's basically Jesus took my place where I belonged. Where he was on the cross is where I should have been. When he was in the grave, that's where I should have been. The chastisement, let's just read it. Isaiah 53, starting in verse three, says he was despised and rejected by men. This is what they're reading in the chariot. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. He was esteemed, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. That was us. That should be us, smitten by God, afflicted, esteemed not. Verse five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Folks, that's substitutionary atonement. That is Christ taking our place. The peace that was offered to us was not for us. We deserved the death. We deserved to not experience that life. The peace he brought was his, not ours. We look at this idea of substitutionary atonement from the very beginning of scriptures. Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, knew their shame and their nakedness, right? And so we see them cover themselves with fig leaves. And so we see the sacrifice that God makes where he sacrifices an animal to give them clothes, to cover themselves. Substitutionary atonement. We look back and we see in Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, when finally the family that God has offered Abraham that was going to be the, nation, the, fam, the father of many nations, Isaac, when he was an old man, when he couldn't conceive anymore, God was faithful to give to him and then ask him to sacrifice his only son. Does that sound like something familiar? And so Abraham in obedience, hearing God's calling and acting in obedience, takes Isaac to be sacrificed. And Isaac along the way is asking God, where is the or asking Moses, where is the sacrifice? And his father's response is, God will provide. And when he gets there, what does God do? He provides the ram in the thicket. Substitutionary atonement. We look at Moses and the Israelites, and we think about when the, the death angel was going to come upon them to kill the firstborn of every family. And we see the slaughter of a lamb that the, God commands them to do to, to put it over the doorposts so that the angel would pass by. We see substitutionary atonement. This idea, it's, it's this, from Genesis 3, we've seen the brokenness of, of, of all of creation, this tension growing, this desperation of needing of an ultimate sacrifice because the ones that were in place, the system of sacrifice was not eternal. It was temporary. It was not going to fix things. It wasn't an amount of quantity of blood that could be shed. It was a matter of quality in the person of Christ. So we see this passage and we see Philip explaining substitution and the question of who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself, Isaiah, or who's he talking about someone else? And Philip being able to, to tell him the truth of the gospel says, it is Jesus Christ. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to be slaughtered, and like a sheep that is before a shear and silent, so he opened his mouth not. Where we should have been, Christ took our place. Where we should have been, Christ took our place. The simple truth of the gospel being proclaimed in a gospel-appointed meeting. We see Philip's uh, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We see his obedience. And we see him proclaim the truth to the gospel to a heart that's been tenderized by God. In verse 36, back in Acts chapter 8, so they've been reading. He's explaining this to them. It says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, so see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? If he is talking about baptism, then that means Philip has explained the gospel to him and the need for response in baptism. And if he's asking about baptism, then the assumption is that is being applied is that he has chosen to believe. And now he's asking, what is it? that prevents me from being baptized. Now, in a lot of your verses, you'll notice that it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. If you have ESV or New American Standard, it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. 37 is actually like a subtext of that passage. In like King James or New King James, it's probably in parentheses. The reason for this is that passage or that verse 37 is not in the original manuscripts that we get scripture from, but it was found in probably some others. And so for, you know, being accurate, it's being put in parenthetical reference. But it's important is, is what 37 says is the implication that is being made in verse 36. And verse 37 says, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When you think about baptism, when you think about when we, uh, we baptized Yoshebel on Christmas Eve, we think about the questions, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord? Do you believe he died and was buried and rose again for your sins? These are the things that we affirm, the gospel. In verse 36, this is what it's being implied is, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And verse 38 says, And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, full of immersion, under the water, back up again, representing our death and burial with Christ and his resurrection to new life again. The tension, the hopelessness, the need for a, a sacrificial atonement, of Christ being made fully recognized in this moment that, that Philip believed and in obedience said, what must I do to be baptized? And the answer is nothing, just believe. And so he was baptized. Here's something really cool about this passage. In verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord took Philip away. Just gone. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You see, the eunuch who traveled all that way to Jerusalem to worship, who was denied access because of his physical uh, dismemberments and things like that, who was searching after God, has now finally 
been able and has been granted access into the kingdom of heaven. When we look back at the, the crucifixion of Christ and we think about when he died and the veil was torn on the temple, the, the, the access that we now have, the relationship we can now have with Christ is made real through the gospel, through belief. And that who he is is who he says he is. And what he has done, he has done for you and me. He is our substitutionary atonement. I think it's just amazing that the eunuch realizing where he has come from and where he is now, he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It tells me that God still has some other things for him to be doing, right? The sovereignty of God was still working. So he took him up and he took him on to somewhere else to continue to preach, to continue to share the gospel. As the band gets ready to come forward and as we come to a time of response and we think about all that has happened with, with Philip responding to the call to rise and go, not knowing where he was going, but just to go. And we look at the Ethiopian eunuch who's traveled so far to end up in a gospel-appointed meeting and Philip living out the mission of the church presenting the gospel and him believing in faith and being baptized on the side of the road. Folks, this seems like just this incredible story that seems so far-fetched that it doesn't happen today, but it's the same thing that happens, that has always happened, is that God stirs in the hearts of the lost and dying world. And then we come alongside presenting the truth of the gospel that substitutionary atonement, the, the suffering servant being described in Isaiah 53. And we see lives change. We went through the redemption series of seeing all these lives, marriages, salvations, all these reconciliations happening because of the truth of the gospel. You and I are most likely all here because of the truth of the gospel. So as we begin to come to a time to respond to the Lord, Maybe this is your first time hearing the gospel. Maybe this is your first time understanding that Jesus took a place that you deserved. If that's you and you're here this morning, hear what God is saying and be obedient to say, I want to know more. We would love to meet with you and share with you more of this gospel truth of who Christ is, that hope and the peace that we talk about that we want for you and that he has set for you. And maybe you're here and you have not been able to hear the sensitivity calling of what God has been doing in your life or the lives around you. And so maybe you need to ask some questions of why you can't hear the Lord or maybe what, is there too much noise that it's being hard to hear? Or maybe you haven't had a lot of training to understand what it means to present the gospel. But the calling has been given to us in Matthew 28. And we see the unstoppableness of the gospel through the church, throughout Acts. And so this morning, as, as the, began, begin, the band begins to play and, and we begin to respond, let's be sensitive to the Lord. Let's be obedient to say, yes, Lord. Let's rise and let's go and respond to him this morning as we start 2017. Father, we just love you. We ask, Father... Um, as you are faithful to call, God, you are faithful to stir our hearts and our, our affections for you, Lord. 
And if there's someone here that is hurt, has some desperation, Father, or a need for you, that God, that you would just reveal that to them so that they can respond to you in faithfulness and in belief in who you say you are, who your word says you are, the truth of the gospel. And Father, if there are some that are here that, Lord, that they are have this desire to respond to you in faithfulness, but maybe need some help in doing that. Then this morning, the first step being, yes, Lord, I will rise and I will go. 